So I grew up in the hospitality industry. I never wanted to do anything else, actually. I never thought of, of doing anything else. Uh, and, and I love the, the diversity, the creativity, and the opportunities uh, it creates. It's a cafe, it's a provision store, but most of all, it's a smokehouse. Bai Kai is a unique offering in Sydney's Surrey Hills, run by chef Kai Elman and his wife Poitra, a passionate Thai cook. They combine all their influences to create a very Australian business. Kai, welcome to Dirty Linen. Hi, Danny. Good to talk to you. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. And I just, I love um, what I what I know about Bai Kai. When I read about it, I feel like I can I can smell the smoke and almost taste the trout, not quite. But tell, tell me about your business. Well, uh, we are an artisan smokehouse and we specialize in smoked rainbow trout. Uh, but we also do small batch smoked meats. Uh, we do uh, a, a duck breast. We do the smoked duck confit. We do some smoked beef pastrami some herb chicken breast as well. Uh, but the trout is really the, the hero product. That's how it all started. Well, t- tell me about how it started and, and t- yeah, tell me about this special trout. How do you do it? Why why trout? Where does it come from? Um, yeah, so it's a, uh, the story started uh, with uh, Pavitra, um, my wife, and she had a, a small uh, market stall. And um, the thing is that where she comes from, uh, the northeast of Thailand, uh, which is right on the border of Laos. Uh, it's just across the Mekong River. And um, so she she comes from that area. And uh, if you remember the Vietnamese War, they, a lot of the Vietnam, Vietnamese and also Lan people escaped across the river to Thailand and obviously brought with them uh, their food culture. And so when you go to her hometown, there are huge influences of uh, Vietnamese food, Lan food, and also uh, some French influences because of the Vietnamese, of course. Uh, so when she started this market stall um, in Zetland at Green Square Markets about six years ago, she wanted to do this salad that she knew from her hometown, which contains like beautiful oriental herbs, uh, glass noodles, rice noodles, and uh, uh, homemade tamarind dressings. And also it had a smoky kind of grilled river fish which they uh, traditionally pack it in salt and they cook it on the rice field. So she said to me, could you make something like this? And uh, I said, obviously, we don't really have a rice field here, but I can do what I know and uh, we can, I can try to smoke you some trout. And that's how it started. So I smoked three trout every Friday on the balcony, on the barbecue for Saturday's market. So what happens next is that the salad became so popular and people really enjoyed the smoked trout. So people asked me, um, or asked Pavitra as well, where, where do you get the trout from? Where can we buy, th- where can we buy the trout? And obviously uh, it wasn't available anywhere else but just the market. So Pavitra said to me, well, why don't you bring the smoker to the market and smoke it at the market? So that's, uh, that's what I did and uh, it became sort of a bit of a destination and people liked the smell obviously and the theater and it became really popular. Um, so next thing that happened was that the market uh, unfortunately closed down, it shut down and uh, I didn't really mind it that much because to be honest, to get up at five o'clock on a Saturday morning uh, was not really my favorite thing to do, but uh, but um, but it, it closed and uh, and we said, that's fine. But it didn't stop there. So people still kept calling me and messaging me and asking me where they could purchase the trout. So I would collect orders. And then uh, once we had enough orders, I would smoke one batch at home and then just deliver it to them. 
but uh, that sort of encouraged us to to go the next step and possibly get a you know get a shop or a, a production kitchen a little kitchen somewhere a little and open a little smokehouse so that's really how it started uh, and it took a while to get to this point obviously with uh, covid slowing us down but we finally opened in february last year Wow, that is such a great story. You just never know what what uh, twists and turns the road has for you, do you? It's just, yeah, fantastic. Um, Kai, tell me about the trout that you use and the process um, by which you smoke it. Yeah, so the trout, uh, we source it from uh, the Goulburn River, uh, which uh, the, it's really pristine, clear, cold water very clean cold water and it comes down from the snowy mountains and that's where we get the the raw product from and the incredible thing is it actually gets from pond to the smokehouse in less than 24 hours so it travels overnight and gets to the sydney fish market about three four o'clock in the morning Uh, we then pick it up and bring it to our smokehouse uh, where we then brine it Um, in our own recipe we use australian kiln dried sea salt we add a little bit of juniper and we brine it for 24 hours um, so sourcing the trout is important. The, po- the most important thing is that obviously the trout is, uh, lives in very clean water. And uh, the other important thing is what they feed the fish. So we were very concerned about that. And the farm that we choose uh, uses natural feed and there's no artificial colorings or any, any, um, any, anything at all. So it's a very clean fish uh, and it's obviously sustainable because it's farmed. Um, so that's uh, that's that's a really nice fresh fish. When we when we get it, uh, it's it, you can see it's less than twenty four hours from from the pond. Um, so the thing is, once we brine it, uh, we wash off the brine and then we place a sprig of fresh rosemary in the cavity. So that does two things: it uh, contributes to the overall flavor profile, but it also keeps the cavity slightly open. And that allows the smoke to travel through the cavity and it results in a more even smokiness. Um, So then we smoke it over hickory and the hickory wood is actually Australian pecan wood. It's from a pecan nut farm. So uh, obviously we want to use Australian uh, uh, products, but uh, hickory is a native American. So uh, the thing to, if you want to use Australian wood, we have to use the pecan, pecan wood. Um, so it's a, it's obviously a food grade wood because uh, f- obviously for the for the nuts as well. And the wood, when they cut the wood, they don't cut it with a chainsaw. Uh, the thing is that the chainsaw oil would contaminate the wood, and we we certainly don't want uh, chainsaw oil ending up on our smoked products. So the other detail we do is uh, we hang them up uh, rather. Uh, sorry, we lay them down rather than hanging them up rather than hanging them up uh, and that and that's uh, sort of gives us uh, avoids moisture loss and, mint, and, and maintains the maximum um, uh, moisture for for a beautiful texture uh, we we then uh, smoke the trout to our magic degree and then we have them perfectly cooked so that's very important as well because obviously it's a very oily fish and if you overcook them um, they can go quite dry so the end result is a medium, smoky, juicy, sweet and salty, beautiful textured smoked trout. Yum. <laughs> Sounds so good. I would eat that every day. Uh, so 
I mean, it's such an interesting pathway. You know, you had this demand for this trout and, you know, it caused you to expand uh, into these um, these premises. But tell me about the offering as it is at the moment because, you, you know, people come to eat as well as to buy trout. Yeah, so uh, we do have a. So when we when we when we looked for a premises, it was uh, it was quite uh, difficult actually to find what we are looking for. And um, uh, so when we finally found this location, uh, it is a little bit hidden. But we, I was really looking for a production kitchen, a kitchen where I can set up my smokehouse. So we never really thought of having a retail shop or a cafe or or anything like this. But when we found this location in Surrey Hills, it, it, it just it just fell into place. And and uh, and we really loved the, the, the location, where it, where it was. It's the right address for what we wanted to do. So um, so the thing is that uh, when, with this shop, with, with this kitchen, it actually had a little shop front, but it's very tiny. And um, so we said, well, we have this little shop front, so we might as well use it. And uh, how do we use it best? So we obviously retail all of our products out of the shop front and as well as other artisan or like-minded minded people's products and obviously that uh, products that go with the trout as well. Um, so that's our shop front offering. Uh, then we do have a little alfresco dining area, just an outdoor area. Uh, and a small, very small um, four seats inside as well. So we do have a menu that we uh, offer uh, using dishes that are made with our smoked trout, like, for example, our signature dish, Pavitra's, Pavitra's very popular, beautiful, uh, beautiful oriental salad. And we do make other things as well, like a smoked trout croquette. Uh, we have a smoked beef toasty as well. And everything we make here is homemade. So it's home, home with homemade pickles um, and that sort of thing. So, um, so that's the, uh, and, and of course, these dishes are also available online and also available to take away. Um, but we do also um, work on uh, collaborating with chefs and restaurants. So we do have a wholesale base as well. And we do have, have a small customer base, uh, which are uh, uh, beautiful restaurants around Sydney at this moment, point in time. And uh, they use our trout on their menu as entree or whatever they do with it, you know. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's what we do. Kai, you, you've been cooking for a long time. I'd love to know the backstory. Can you tell us what inspired you to work in food in the first place and a bit about your journey as a chef? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think uh, from as, as long as I can remember, uh, my mum is a great cook and, and both my parents um, always had hotels so I grew up in the hospitality industry um, and I, I never wanted to do anything else, actually. I never thought of, of doing anything else. Uh, and, and I love the, the diversity, the creativity and the opportunities uh, it creates. Um, certainly when I was younger, I loved the, the prospect of learning another language and, and see other countries and experience, dif- experience different cuisines. So that's really where the love comes from, from a, from a very, very early age, as, as far as I can remember, really. And tell us where you grew up. So I grew up in Germany, in a, in a town called uh, Hanover, North Germany. And uh, that's where I uh, had also my training. But because of my parents having hotels, we did uh, live in many different places uh, through the years. So we, uh, we lived, for example, in uh, one place in Bavaria, which was right in the mountains. My, my parents had a beautiful hotel uh, actually on top of the mountain. Um, 
And I remember going to school by ski. That was the only way of transport. <laughs> and, uh, and then coming back the same way, you have to get the lift, uh, the ski lift to go up the mountain again. But of course, a great way to grow up as a kid. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's sort of where I come from. And what about some of the, um, the jobs you've had along the way? Yeah, so um, obviously I had my training in Germany. And uh, then shortly after that, I, uh, you know, because I always wanted to travel and, and use that, ex- get, gain more experience as a chef, I went to uh, England and I went to Scotland in particular. And I worked in a hotel called Glen Eagles, uh, which is quite famous for its golf. Yeah, I've stayed there actually. Oh, it's a beautiful place. It's amazing. Yeah, magnificent yeah. place. Yeah. Um, I remember doing the falconry where the, you can um, we have this big leather glove and a falcon will come and land on it and then go off and wheel around the sky. Oh, wow. That would have been a little bit scary, wouldn't it be? Uh, I don't know. I felt like somebody knew what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's really fun. It's a great place, that's for sure. Very different. Uh, and uh, yes, and then I ventured uh, down to London as well and I worked in the Ritz in London for a while. And... Uh, that's for, for me, uh, I think that was really the place where I really learned how to cook. Um, so, yes, having the foundation as, a, you know, a, a, having my training in Germany and getting the foundations, that's ov- obviously very important. But uh, the Ritz in London really, really, uh, that's where, 100%, that's where I learned to cook. Um, so that was a, a very interesting place uh, because obviously it's just around the corner from, uh, from where many of the royal family live. And uh, they used to come quite often uh, to the Ritz as well and have a lunch or, or a dinner or even a breakfast. Um, and I remember many times cooking for, uh, for, for members of the royal family and uh, Princess Margaret, her favorite dish was uh, scrambled egg and smoked salmon. So we cooked that for her many times. Um, that was a great experience and a fantastic place to work at. Wow. And was that a, a sort of an, an enormous brigade? Like a, I could just imagine, you know, kitchen upon kitchen with, with um, you know, continuous service. Was, was, it, was it that sort of that scale and the systems that you really were able to take, take onward? Uh, look, the, the system, uh, the system is obviously a classical French system. So it's a bit like boot camp 24-7. But, uh, but the brigade itself isn't really, wasn't really that big. Um, so I think from memory, it probably would have been uh, maybe 40 to 50 chefs maximum. Uh, so not that huge uh, because the actual hotel is not that big. Um, but uh, it's an, a very interesting kitchen uh, because you, you, you must have heard of uh, uh, Auguste Escoffier, the, the, the chef that uh, really wrote down uh, the recipes and, and named them uh, after some, something or someone. Um, so he's like the, you know, the godfather of classical French cuisine. He actually experimented in that kitchen. He was employed by the Ritz many, many years ago, of course. And he would work behind a curtain and uh, nobody would know what he was doing. And, uh, and that's where he developed all these recipes. Um, so it's a really famous kitchen and, uh, and one that has a huge heritage. So Kai, what brought you to Australia? Um, I came to Australia uh, because unfortunately my parents got divorced and my, my dad met an Australian lady and moved to Australia and I hadn't seen him for about nine years and I was actually born on my dad's birthday and uh, so, so I really needed to come to Australia to uh, reconnect with him and that was really important to me um, and it took me a while because, I, you know, because I had to finish my apprenticeship obviously 
and um, and then I went to England and, and and did all those things. And then I really felt the need to to reconnect with my dad and uh, and visit him. So I went to the Australian High Commission in London and I asked them if I could have a working holiday visa. And they said no. They said you can't because uh, as a German passport holder, Australia has uh, had at least in those times. I, I don't know if it's changed now, but there was no connection between Germany and Australia. So they wouldn't allow me to get a working holiday. So, and I said, uh, what are the options? And they say, well, you can go on a holiday. Um, you know, we give you a visa for a holiday. And I said, I can't, I can't afford that. I can't, uh, it's, it's too far away and I want to stay a bit longer and I can't, I can't just, I can't just go, you know, that's impossible. So I said, is there any other option? They said, well, you can, uh, you can apply for permanent resident. And that's what I did. And it took me a, a year to get permanent residency, but that was that was once once I had permanent residency, I didn't need to get a return ticket, and uh, and I was able to visit my dad. That is a really interesting visa story. I've heard. I feel like you know I've heard so many permutations of how hard it is to get to Australia and stay and work in Australia, but that is one I have not heard before. So that's, um, yeah, really interesting. So did you just come here and never leave? That's correct. So so my intention was actually not to stay. Uh, I mean, it was really, really to, to, to visit my dad and, and to talk to him, reconnect with him, celebrate another birthday together, and then I might go back again. You know, I, I had no, no, no plans, really. But, you know, uh, we live in a great country and uh, it's lots of opportunities. And once you start and you get to know the country and I traveled the country a little bit, um, you, 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 you have to fall in love with it. It's, there's no doubt about that. And uh, so your one year goes by and then another year goes by and you make friends and connections. And, and the next thing I know, it's home. Uh, there's, no, there's no need to go back. Wow. And Kai, I know that you've also worked as a food stylist. Can you tell us about that part of your career? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did have a, actually have a stint uh, working for what was then Australia's largest food company. Uh, and I worked for them as a development chef. So um, so what happened, uh, you know, in these big corporations, there's always uh, redundancies going around and there was another round of those and uh, I was offered a different position or I was offered a redundancy. And when I looked at the redundancy, with it came, uh, of course, the, the money uh, is one part, but with it came a, a career advisor. So I thought I would like to explore that option and I took the redundancy and I spoke to the career advisor, not knowing what I wanted to do at all. Um, and with, after the second meeting, he said to me, you should be a food stylist. And I said, really? And I said, how do I do that? And, and what do I have to do? So he sent me to a, a couple of small business seminars. And, uh, and, and, and then I started promoting myself as a food stylist. And I've done this actually for 20 years. Um, and I worked with probably most of uh, the major food companies uh, in Australia and probably around the world as well. But, um, that's so interesting. What a perceptive uh, careers counsellor to to send you on a path that where you stayed for 20 years. Tell us, a lot of people would find that really interesting, you know, that a chef could be a food stylist. Could you just explain what that work is like? Well, uh, it very much depends on the client. Uh, so if you and, – and also it hasn't very much changed over the years, you know. So when I first started, for example um, – there was a lot of trickery involved and probably a lot of, um, you know, people looking to make the food really perfect. And of course, we don't look for, look for that anymore. 
you know, these days we want to have the food looking fresh and we want to look a bit random, uh, not perfectly arranged, uh, that sort of thing, you know. Uh, so it's just much more appetizing and much more appealing to the public at least. So um, so things have changed a lot over the years. And it's and dep also depending who you work for, it can be quite creative. But on the other hand, if you're working for a big um, a big fast food company, for example, for their menu boards, uh, there will be an art director, and you will be guided of how it should be look, uh, how it should look, uh, how the product should end up looking. And then, of course, with technology, has changed a lot of things as well. Um, almost every image you see, it would have been retouched to some degree as well, um, so to make it even more perfect looking. Is there a food that you? really loved to style or hated to style something that was really tricky to get right um i i don't hate any of them i think they are all great to style and they all have different challenges uh, but the most challenging or the most difficult can probably is is most likely is a you know when you see a pizza with a perfect cheese pull that is not that is not an easy thing to do <laughs> i bet <laughs> yeah well what's the secret what do you do well, the, the, well, I don't want to give away my secrets, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's actually uh, just trial and error, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of them. You need a lot of pizzas to get it right. Uh, but one thing uh, is probably a good thing to do is if you cut the base before you put the cheese on and before you cook it. So then you don't cut through the cheese to get the slice out. That is a very clever trick. Absolutely. I remember, you know, I, I've done a few cookbooks and before I did the first one, I felt like this world of food styling was such a mystery to me. And I, I got one of those books that I guess is, as you were saying, you know, pretty old school. It had a lot of trickery in it. And it just felt like, you know, there was so much mashed potato was being molded to be, uh, to hold things up or to be other things. Um, there was so much, you know, um, sprays to make things glisten. And, you know, then when, um, when in the end I did work with a food stylist, Caroline Velick, who's you know one of Australia's foremost food stylists. She's she's awesome. Like it was everything was completely natural. The only thing we did was we put some marbles in a bowl of soup so that the lobster wouldn't sink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the only thing. Everything else was just what you see is what you get, and it was just about yeah making the food look delicious and and as you say like allowing things just to to look real, um, which I think is yeah from in most I guess definitely in cookbooks and publish most publishing food is allowed to look real, but certainly yeah with menu boards and some of those um, I guess packaging shots there is still they are, can be quite stylized. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, social media has changed it, changed it, uh, changed a lot as well. I mean, social media, you know, is really shot um, just just to be there, out there for a few seconds, really. Um, so that's a very very different process, and uh, and the amount of shots you can take per, per per day for for social media versus packaging is is a huge difference. Uh, I mean, packaging, especially if it's a, a product that's in the freezer or out there in the supermarkets it's out there for a long long time where social media you see it for two seconds and then you go to the next image you know so it's a very different process yeah interesting so do you do the styling for your own products now yes i do uh, i do um we put it on our instagram obviously and uh and yes i do <laughs> i do style them yes do you think trout's a pretty good food to style? Uh, look, it's very simple to style because uh, I don't need to do much to it. 
um, it's it's just the way it is, and uh, and we just garnish it up, or or give or maybe give people an idea of what they could do with it, uh, or give some recipe suggestions, that sort of thing. But it's a very it's it's a very simple thing to style. Uh, we we don't add anything to it, you know. Um, it's, it is what it is, really. Mm. And Kai, what are the joys and challenges with your business at the moment? Oh, look, I think uh, challenges. We we all face the same challenges in small business. Um, I think for me, uh, the main challenge is probably uh, we are in a bit of a hidden location. And um, so we're not on a major highway or major road or, you know, where we are very visible. So we are a little bit hidden. Uh, and also the product we offer, it's, a, it's, it's quite unique and it's a niche market product. So it's probably... Um, that's that's the challenges I face, and 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 really uh, letting people know what the process is and why is it so different from you know from the the brands you could pers- uh, you could purchase in a supermarket, for example, you know. Um, so so these are the things uh, we we keep uh, we keep talking about, you know, as who we are and why we do what we do, and it's a challenge, of course. Mm, a real education process. But what do you love about what you do? Oh look, the the, the joys are, are definitely uh, the comments and the support we get from our customers, and certainly the locals. It's a great community, um, and they keep coming back. and And as you know from the market as well, they kept coming back and they kept messaging me. You know, so it's that support that what that's what keeps us going, and that is very satisfying, um, very very satisfying. And that's all because of we have just great customers. You know. Well, it must be something to do with the great product. Kai, what's your favourite way to eat smoked trout? For me, uh, when I go back in time and and think about uh, where I come from, um, actually, it's really simple. It's just the smoked trout, some horseradish cream, um, and usually it's not the horseradish cream you buy in the supermarket. It's like a beautiful horseradish or a freshly grated horseradish, and then just add some cream, cream fresh to it or even some whipped cream and just some beautiful bread. That's it. That it doesn't need anything else. That sounds so good. Um, Kai, it's been fantastic to chat to you, learn more about your business by Kai. And um, you've made me really hanker after smoked trout. So I've got to make sure that some of that is in my near future. Well, please pop in if you're in the, in the neighborhood. You must come in and say hello. Definitely. I will see you there soon. Thank you, Danny. Great to talk to you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.